battling the relentlessly negative doom and gloom news media. It's the Nick Stenger Show. Coming to you live from the Stenger Family Office Headquarters, it's your host, Nick Stenger. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nick Stenger Show. My name is Nick Stenger. We are the Stenger Family Office for the past 42 long years. It has been our mission to deliver both clarity and confidence to help secure your financial future. Well, this episode is episode 106. We are rolling right up to 200. If you have been with us since the very beginning, we did a 100th episode special a while ago. And now the next check-in, I guess, is 200. So very exciting. We appreciate you sticking with us, coming back each and every week for the clarity and confidence. And that's what we do on this show is we want to give you the good news, the optimism, the reasons why you ought to stay on your plan despite the doom and gloom, despite all the bad stuff that you hear about constantly. We want to give you the opposite of that. One of the ways that we've been doing that is just last week on the 105th episode of the show, we had Bruce Bond, a wonderful entrepreneur, created Innovator ETFs. If you didn't listen to the episode, go back, go on Spotify, go on our website, listen to episode 105, and you are just going to hear such optimism. We are going to try every week. We might not be able to do it each and every week, but we're going to do our best to bring you entrepreneurs each and every time so that you can hear a little bit of insight into what's really going on at the ground floor level of the U.S. economy. This week is no different. We've got Justin Breen, who is the CEO, the founder of a PR company, and he won't call it a PR company. He'll call it something else, which is cool, but that's the easiest way to understand it. He helps companies like ours tell our stories to the media. And Justin is just a, a, an amazing entrepreneur. Don't go away. It's the second half of the show. So we'll do the monologue like we always do. Don't go away. Justin's coming up very, very soon on the 106th episode of today's show. This week's episode and article is called Time to Hit the Breaks. And if you are not getting the articles yet, you can get them on our website under the Stenger Plus tab. If you're a client, there's no cost to subscribe to that. It's all there. And if you're not getting them, just hit the subscribe button on the website so that you start getting the emails just like before. What's going on right now, and again, calling this article, this episode, Time to Hit the Brakes, is the fact that I really do not believe that the Fed has much of an idea of what's going on. And you really can't blame them. I mean, it, it, the economy is too hard. It's too complex for anybody to possibly be able to run the whole thing, for anybody to truly understand all the supply chain complexities, all of the various things that go into economic growth and entrepreneurship. And they are the people who in 2020 called inflation transitory. Back then it was Janet Yellen. And if you are in an economics course or you have taken any sort of econ 101, you know that there's one metric you need to watch. It's M2. That's the supply of money in the economy. That's money in your pocket, money in your wallet, money in your bank account, money market funds, stuff like that. The amount of money floating in the economy directly impacts the rate of inflation over the long run. And so you cannot have this world where like a lot of our politicians thought, like the Federal Reserve thought, that you can just print money 
into oblivion without consequence and not have inflation. And so we called that early on with the help of our friends at First Trust Portfolios and Wheaton, and they pointed this out early, 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 which is why we took the bond duration in the portfolio, the amount of time that the bonds mature in, to basically near zero. Because when you own a long-term bond, like you've seen with SVB, like you've seen with some of these other banks, like First Republic, all these banks that are having issues right now that bought the long-term debt, thinking that interest rates would never go up, made a huge mistake. And so thankfully, we were on the cutting edge of this, getting your bond duration short-term, going more away from the tech companies, more towards dividend-paying stocks. Dividend-paying stocks behave more uh, uh, just a little bit more conservatively in a rising rate environment because remember people discount the present so heavily they want to have income now rather than income in the future and so the present value of cash flows goes through the roof and so that's why I think in this wilderness time until we really see a drop off in the treasury rate we are going to be in this era where dividend income plays a huge role in your portfolio's return. And if rates are 5%, it just makes the capital allocation decision not impossible, but it just makes it different, similar to how we managed through the 70s and the 80s. And when you have interest rates like you did back then, the dividend yield on the S&P basically produces 80 to 90% of the, the return in your portfolio. So I, I would just be careful before you go out at this point and add risk. I don't think you need to do that. I think you can get some really good return without having to take on excessive risk and tech companies reaching for the stars. And some of these boring companies that have not done a whole lot the past 10 years that are just kind of plow horse, just, you know, go up three, 4%, 5% a year are becoming very important for the overall portfolio return. The Fed raised interest rates by 0.25% March 22nd last week, rather than the 0.5%, like a lot of economists were expecting. Either way, I think everybody was a little bit surprised. The market didn't really rally, but it also didn't panic. It was sort of just a, okay, well, that's what we expected. And like we've used the analogy of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness before they could ultimately get into the promised land. Economically speaking, I still think we're in that zone. I had a client a couple weeks or months ago or something uh, say, Nick, I, I'm so sick of hearing the wilderness example, but that's just the reality. And, and I keep reinforcing this because I do not, do not, do not believe that we are going to end up in this abyss that people keep talking about where the market drops 20% or more, the bottom falls out, we're in Armageddon. I do not believe that. You'll hear that from Justin Breen too on today's show. But rather, I think we're in this time where you're just not going to see a whole lot of spike to the upside either. That's my opinion. Now, there are some analysts who disagree with that. In fact, one of the big data sources we follow is FactSet Earnings Insight, FactSet Research. And they actually go through company by company and sector by sector. And they say, here's what we think corporate profits are going to be. Why is that important? Because ultimately, corporate profits drive the market forward or backward. And then you have to discount with interest rates. So when the Fed stabilizes on the interest rate front and the market does kind of even out a little bit, it will be back to an earnings game where everything is going to depend on how companies are doing from quarter to quarter. First thing that we've seen with earnings so far is they're really not nearly as bad as people thought. We are only seeing about a 6%, maybe 7% pullback in corporate profits. That's not the doom and gloom that people expected 
like last year where the market remembers this forward-looking indicator of what's coming where it dropped off 20%. The market literally last year said, okay, profits are going to be down 20% in 2023. And so far, we're not even close to that doom and gloom scenario. So that's why I think things are going to just bounce around. We're not going to immediately go back up to all-time highs. Could take us 18 months, maybe two years. Seems like a long time. But really, if you think about it, with the S&P today trading about 4,000 points, record all-time highs being 4,750 points, that would be a pretty average return, actually a pretty good return, even if it takes us two years to get back there. You're looking at maybe a 10% annualized return with dividends the next two years. That's not doom and gloom. That's not the bottom falling out. That's not the world coming to an end. It's just kind of getting back to normal long-run S&P returns, not these insane 15 16% annualized returns that we had with 0% interest rates. So that's why I'm still in the middle here. I'm not overly optimistic on the market for right now, but I'm not doom and gloom at all. Um, let's talk about SVB, First Republic again. We've talked about this for a few weeks, only because I do not believe that that is a canary in the coal mine. I do not think that SVB and First Republic are an indicator that the entire banking system is going to collapse. I think instead it's mostly just an indication of bad management. Not every company is managed the same way. Not every CEO is of the same risk management mindset. And so some companies, some banks in particular, are managed um, more aggressively than others. And, and so you can't just take these isolated, what I think are isolated incidents, and then apply that to the entire banking sector, for example. Um, I think there's just every company is different. And that's why we have engaged in single stock analysis. We have done a lot of, obviously, broad analysis of the overall economy. And then we've taken that and said, okay, what are the best companies in the sectors? And that requires some level of I would call it experience. We've been doing this for 42 years, knowing what a good company is versus a bad company. So I think there's a level of you just have to be very careful what you're buying. If you just get into the S&P 500 now and you're putting all your money into what's called market cap weighted, which means you are basically just buying the biggest and the best companies, which is okay long run. The only thing you could run into, I'm not 100% saying this is going to happen, but one of the concerns we have is you could run into a lost decade scenario. And what I mean by that is what we had in 2000, coming off of the tech bubble, the tech crisis, when the bubble popped, going into the financial crisis of 08 and 09, that 10-year time frame from 2000 to 2010 really was a lost decade. And, and, and the entire total return on the S&P in those 10 years was only 1.5% roughly. That's all in for the entire 10 years, whereas a diversified portfolio produced a return of about 6.5% per year. I think some of that could be returning you do not, do not, do not want to get caught with no return for 10 years. Now, if you're 40 years old and you're working, it really probably doesn't make a huge difference. But if you are 70, 75, 80 years old, you do need to have some diversification. You do need to be buying companies other than just the top S&P stocks. And you should be looking at companies that are more undervalued. And when you take out those big FANG stocks, you know, the Facebooks, Apples, you know, Netflix, Microsoft, all the rest of them out of the S&P and you look at the, you know, let's even call it the S&P 450 or the S&P 475 without those top 25 stocks, 
the market actually looks pretty fairly valued. It doesn't look over overly priced. It doesn't doesn't look totally underpriced, but it definitely doesn't look like it's this this doom and gloom is coming. It it really has to just be broken down. We have not been in an environment like that like I said, since the early 2000s. So that could be returning. SVB, not a canary in the coal mine that the media wants it to be. Of course, that would drive ratings. But it doesn't change our opinion that the Fed is driving us off a cliff and immediately needs to stop rate hikes to give investors more clarity on where things are going. They have no clue what 5% rates are going to do to this economy. A lot of people haven't managed through 5% rates. A lot of businesses, especially small companies, which we've been very careful to avoid, um, at some point may become a buy, but we have obviously focused mostly on large cap companies. The reason why is financing costs for small companies is much, much more troubling when interest rates go to 5% than it would be for a large company. And you just look at the past five years, the, the, the price return, so without dividends included, the price return on small cap companies is only 24% for the past five years, whereas with the S&P large cap companies, it's 55%. It's a massive difference. And that's why you have to be very careful when you do your rebalancing, when you do your allocation in your 401k, you need to be watching it. I would say minimum rebalancing once a year, like we do with our clients. Sometimes like we're approaching here and possibly going to do a spring rebalance. I've been talking with my partner, Bond Roth, about getting a spring rebalance put together. Um, You need to be looking at the 401k maybe once definitely once, maybe twice a year in an environment where there's just a lot of economic factors that are changing on a daily basis. Now, how do you track where inflation's going? Because none of us really care about where it's been. We want to know where the puck is going. We have followed producer inflation. PPI is the name of it, producer price inflation. And what that is, is that is input costs that businesses are observing. That's, that's their price to make the goods that they sell us, their costs are, are through the roof. They were going up precipitously through COVID, up about 50, 60%. So we said, hey, until business prices, until producer input costs stabilize, consumer price inflation is not going to stabilize either. And so that's when like the Fed, it was, uh, inflation was four, four and a half, maybe 5%. We said, watch out, it's going to go to six or seven, or maybe even eight. Some of the sectors and some of the areas of the economy are up much higher than that. You know, and you've seen eggs at the grocery store up maybe 10 or 15%. You have seen gasoline has kind of fluctuated here. Um, Housing, which is a huge piece of inflation, is up tremendously. And I don't think housing costs are really going to come down for a while. That's why we've been sort of cautious and have said, okay, up until this point, and I would say up until the past couple weeks, CPI, consumer price inflation, is most likely going to keep going up for the next couple of, of, of weeks, maybe months. Now, when you get the new data, remember, CPI is going to lag PPI. Consumer prices will lag business prices, usually about three to six months. Um, you look at PPI right now, PPI, producer prices, are down 8% from their record all-time highs. Part of the reason for this, going back to M2 money supply, is now money supply is actually down 5% from its all-time high. 
This is not great. Um, it could be problematic for the economy. And we have not seen a drop like this in M2 money supply for a while. And I'm not saying that this is doom and gloom. I'm just saying that you are going to see an economic slowdown, I think, pretty quickly. I think you're going to start to see a lot more layoffs, which is very unfortunate, of course, for employees. But one of the things the Fed has been watching like a hawk is the labor market. I think if you had to boil it down to one key metric or one key report the Fed is looking for, it's that jolts, the job opening and labor turnover summary that comes out every month. That's what they're watching because they want to see a rise in an unemployment past the 4% zone. If they see that and they start to see more layoffs and more jobless claims, they will cut rates. They will at least maybe not cut, but they'll at least pause. And that's why I think actually this drop in M2 is not the doom and gloom scenario people think it is. I think it's actually going to be a good thing because I think it's going to force the Fed to pivot faster than people think. And we all know that when the Fed starts to pivot and they go back down the other side, remember they usually raise rates slowly. They haven't really done that this time. But then when they cut rates, they cut rates very quickly. And then that's when the market sort of stabilizes and we may have a, a recession, which by the way, we could be in as we speak. We're not quite sure yet. And revisions always come out with earnings and all the rest of it. And GDP gets revised. So nobody really knows exactly where we're at until after the fact, but it's possible we're in a minor recession as we speak. So bottom line is I think inflation is going to drop pretty soon. It might not be next week or next month, but I think it is set to drop at the fastest rate in history. This is something Dr. Jeremy Siegel pointed out at our investor day last year in Naperville. And he said that the Fed needs to immediately stop raising rates. They need to actually maybe process a cut or two to fully understand the effect of the rate hikes that they've already processed. Liquidity is flowing out of the system right now so rapidly, nobody truly understands how quickly things could slow down if they don't soon pivot. And you saw this in the 80s. In, in, in the 80s, Volcker was kind of like the big bad guy and raised rates aggressively. And he came out and he said, we're going to fight inflation and we're going to get things under control. He had two bad years. I believe it was 1973, 1974. Market was down 26%. Then it was down the next year, 14%. But as soon as that was over and he had raised, now he raised from like 4% to 19% pretty aggressively. We have clients who have mortgages at the you know 14%, 20%, 22% zone. The point is Volcker was very clear about his intentions. Powell's a lot different. Powell's, Powell's not quite as, um, I would say, sure of himself. And the biggest issue is he has not given people clarity if he stabilized interest rates, let's say long-run rates are four, four and a half, or five, no one would really care that much. I mean, we've had four, five, six percent interest rates in the past. It hasn't been an issue. The issue is the clarity that the Fed gives or doesn't give. And you could see if rates do stabilize, I'm not telling you to do this, this is not investment advice, but if you start to see rates stabilize, bond returns could come back to normal, let's call it four to six, maybe five to six percent annualized returns, and then stocks would come back down to maybe 8 to 10% long-run returns, which is normal. That, that's not out of the normal at all. And an 8% stock market return for the long run is very good. It's still beating inflation. It's giving you a risk premium. You're getting dividends. Um, and let's say that stock market returns are closer to 8% per year. You could see dividend be about 3% of that. 
And that would be very similar to what we've seen the past 100 years. That's not out of the ordinary at all. The bottom line is, is the Fed really has no idea and nobody knows what interest rates are supposed to be. And, and it's kind of an arbitrary number. It's actually completely made up. They say that long run inflation target is 2% a year. That number has been basically pulled out of a hat. It, it, there's really no rhyme or reason to why that is. But what really will make a difference long run, if you put the Fed on the back burner, what you really have to focus on is why the Fed has to have aggressive interest rate policy to begin with. The reason we have the aggressive policy that we're living through right now is because of bad fiscal policy. And I am not here to play the political game and say that it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats or, or, or whatever. You know, I, I, We're not here to point blame at anyone except to point blame at everybody in Congress, that there is a uniparty in Washington, D.C. Um, the Republicans spend a boatload of money. Where do they get it from? They print it. The Democrats spend a boatload of money. Where do they get it? They print it. Until you rein fiscal policy in, until you cut spending, we will continue to have the problems that we face right now year after year. And if you don't believe me, just look at Europe that has done this. Look at Japan that has done this. The worst example is the Chinese who have built ghost cities to try and incentivize growth. Nobody lives in them and they've had to tear them down because they've printed money into oblivion and think that there's going to be no consequences. That's not how the economy works. Like we talked about last year, you cannot centrally plan the economy. It's way too detailed. It's way too complex. It's impossible to do. And so what you need to have is a return to normal fiscal policy. And you saw this on both sides of the political aisle. You saw this with Ronald Reagan in the 80s, who cut taxes, who now he did spend a lot of money, but he did cut taxes. He cut regulation. And then, of course, Bill Clinton in the 90s, working with the Republican Congress, cut taxes, uh, not really a whole lot of cutting of regulation, but got the budget back under control. That's what we need. We just cannot have these goofy policies that are way too far to the right, way too far to the left. What we want in D.C. is gridlock. We want not a whole lot of any spending to happen. We don't want spending to happen on the social side. We don't want it to happen on the military or defense side, although obviously there's certain scenarios where you have to do these things. The bottom line is you just got to get to the middle politically. I think people will. And there's a great quote that Americans do the right thing after they've tried everything else. I think people have been through the extreme in the last regime, the last administration on the other side of the political spectrum. Now they're sort of on the extreme with the current political party in the White House. I think they just want some normalcy. And you see that time and time again throughout U.S. history. You do see a return to normalcy, a return to people voting with their wallets, which is so critical. We want people to vote with their pocketbooks. When you see that, good things will come. So we are going to stop there and don't go away, though. We do have Justin Breen, founder and CEO of Brepic Communications, coming on the show soon to discuss his company, his business. And we even talk a little bit about what's going on in the current political environment, what's going on in the economic environment, about family history, and why he is still bullish on the U.S. economy. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nick Stenger Show. This is the part of the show that we have recently added on, and that is to interview various business leaders and entrepreneurs. And like we've always told you, it's entrepreneurs that drive the economy forward. Today with us, we have one of the best and a guy who we have known for four years now, going back to 2019. His name is Justin Breen. And Justin owns his own company, and he's here to talk a little bit about what's going on with with uh, his business, his background, and what's going on in the world of entrepreneurship. Justin, are you with us? Yes, sir. Great to see you. Yeah, good good to have you on, and it's just uh, it's a real honor to finally be on the other side of this interviewing you. Um, you have been on the uh, other side of the table in my seat interviewing me and and our family on our family history and it's kind of neat to to uh be on the other side of that well um one thank you uh too grateful for our, our partnerships um your dad's a great visionary you're a great visionary and then unless someone is interviewing me like this i'd rather be the one interviewing them so I, I like being on this side of things, but I'd rather be what you're what you're doing than what I'm doing. But we'll we'll make it work for sure. Um, Justin, can you give everyone just a little background on you and where you started out, and and you know a little bit of your world and the your career in the journalism world, and and where you're at now? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I know you appreciate, and your dad appreciates. Um, understanding where you come from uh and that allows you to know where you are and then where you're going i i don't i don't think most people know where they come from so they don't know where they are and they don't know where they're going you and your family understand at a very high level i'd like to think i know uh my family history pretty well also um but no i mean in terms of my story i was a journalist uh a journalist for 20 years and, and created an entire first company based on how PR firms annoyed me for 20 years when I was a journalist. So I was just annoyed. I was annoyed um, by PR firms. I didn't. I actually don't know what they do. They just bothered me. So I created a, a solution to that. But um, you know, I was I was just born with a story. I mean, I think you were too. Um, when I was born, my dad was 61 and my mom was 27. Um, 34 year difference. And, my father was a he was a World War II hero, shot down multiple times in combat, many times without a parachute, and uh, he got back in the plane. So that's that's my litmus test for entrepreneurs. You're either someone who can uh, get into a plane after another one has been shot down and you weren't wearing a parachute, or you're someone who makes an excuse. And I just don't I don't understand the second part of that. You're like a top entrepreneur on the planet would never make never made an excuse. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and, and I think you did such a wonderful job. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you started this in 2019 and maybe even before that, but starting to really uh, document your family history and you, you even put it together in a, a book. So good research by you. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's interesting because on my dad's side, um, there's a there are um, several journalists on on my dad's side of the family, and then several historians. 
And uh, again, my dad was 61 when I was born. So my first cousins, uh, my first cousins are in their 70s. Um, I'm 45. But my first cousins, because my dad's brothers were, you know, my uncles, for, you know, my uncles, they're, you know, they'd be over 100 now, just like my dad would be if he was alive. So their children are in their 70s. And then a lot of them uh, also kept family history. So there's a deep appreciation on my father's side of the family of, of where we come from. And uh, my dad uh, also was like that as well. He kept a diary uh of him fighting in the battle of the hurrican forest which was a very deadly battle towards the end of world war ii i found it i found it after he died um and it's my greatest you know the greatest if, if our house was burning down i uh, would save wife children and then that diary the dog the dogs too but the wife children uh, dogs and diary but other than that if everything else burned down that'd be okay but that diary is very important and uh uh, every day in that battle of the hurricane force, it gets, it just gets more horrible, more like, it's just horrific. <laughs> so like if an excuse ever pops into my head, uh, I'll just go down and, and read that diary. And then, and then several excerpts from the diary are in the, uh, latest book I wrote, which is called Epic Life. So there's chapter one is filled with those excerpts. Um, and, uh, people who have read it have really appreciated that that part's in there. Now, was your dad, was he first generation in the United States or? Yeah, I, I knew you would ask something like that because you appreciate family history. So um, my father's parents, my grandparents, who I've obviously never met, but um, um, they escaped the pogroms of Russia, uh, Ukraine, Russia to come here. And they came to the United States speaking no English. They eventually moved to Elgin. Uh, by where by where both of us are kind of um and uh my grandfather was like a tailor who had his own shop um and then the my dad and his three brothers uh they all lived in that like in the back and i remember they they became a national story actually all four of the brothers because all four of them went to world war ii um and there were those were the only siblings in the family so they were they were in national media for uh, they interviewed my grandma who I'm actually named after and she said how proud she was of them and how much she loved America um, even though all four of her children were risking their lives fighting wow wow so that makes you three generations and then um, yeah. you've got two boys eight yeah. and ten years old so that's four generations with them yeah and that's a that's a, a great point if you really think about it it, like I almost skipped a gen like well I literally skipped a generation I should be like in my 80s um, my dad if he was alive now he'd be a hundred uh, he'd be a hundred and seven if he was alive so I should be early 80s late 70s not 45 so you are tech you are correct but really it's like I'm almost like a <laughs> I I have the mindset of someone who was born in like the the um, the 50s and 40s like someone who's loves this country and you know what i mean like a, a baby boomer generation if that's what it was i have that type of uh mindset um i think a lot of folks our age and younger have more of an entitled mindset i do not have <laughs> that is not me that is definitely not and it's not you either but um uh 
like I just think because I was raised with someone with so much wisdom who had survived all that, I mean, it was it was a different type of situation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It 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 it's fascinating to watch the change in the generations, even yeah, um, if it's like first generation from any country. You know, whether uh, somebody's immigrated here from Mexico or uh, India or China, and everybody knows there's a difference between Gen One and Two and Three, and mm -hmm. and it's easy to kind of lose that passion and lose the purpose of why your grandparents came here, great grandparents. In my case great, 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 great grandparents. Right. And, um, you know, you have to document the history because if you don't, you really don't understand what they were leaving and what they were coming to. Right. Yeah. And so that is in your blood, literally, like I can hear it with what you just said, not only hear it, but feel it because it's so strong in you. It's so strong. Like, and um, I, I can just feel it. So there's um, there's 34, there are 34 strength finders, Gallup Clifton strength finders. Uh, I'm dead last in empathy, dead last, and then second to last in includer. Um, however, for people like you and your dad, endless, em endless empathy, endless, and then endless inclusion. Because I can feel like what you just said, I can feel that it's such a high level because I understand it so like, and again, how we started this interview, like most people don't understand where they come from. So they don't know where they are and they don't know where they're going. You understand at the highest level, not only where you come from, but like multi, 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 multi generations of where you come from. And then historically you've, you've documented it because you haven't let, you're in the same place, <laughs> in the same place for, you know, 100, 100 plus years almost 200 years but think about that i'm sure you do all the time but think about that you've been in the same your family's been in the same place for almost 200 years that's amazing that's so rare well i uh, i attribute it to, to a lot of what my dad did because see my grandpa jack who was fifth generation great guy wonderful guy um love him you know dearly um but he just never had that interest in preserving the history the same way you know and yeah not not a huge focus for him but my dad came in as the sixth generation and he made yeah. it such a point and he got involved with the neighborhood heritage society um with neighbor settlement and a lot of the history preservation right. and documenting things making documentaries themselves and right. that's so important because then at least you've got some stories that you can pass down and i think you've done that so you know, Justin, tell us a little bit when you think about your kids, then eight and 10 years old, you know, they're a little bit, um, you know, just getting to that point where it's going to make a, a, a difference in their lives too. But how do you kind of share that narrative with them, with your family? Well, one, I, I greatly appreciate you asking that. Um, uh, one, uh, our oldest son, uh, Jake, his middle name is Michael, so he's named after my dad. Um, and uh, uh, Chase, Chase, uh, his name comes from uh, the, the, the word Hassan, which means strong, which means strong. So, and he's, he's a little, uh, he's like a little uh, bottle rocket, like super strong. Uh, total leader he wants to go to west point and be a uh, general general in the army which i frankly i 
I would not be surprised if that happened. But um, so uh, so they're literally their names imply family history and and, and strength. But I um, I talked to them about my father's side uh, and my mom's side a little bit, but more my father's side. I don't know as much about my mom's side, but but uh, I've read part of that diary, part of the diary to them. Um, and then we talk about never making an ex we never make excuses ever. Um, but we live in the North Brooklyn area and uh, the local magazine did a nice, did a nice story on us, our whole family. And then it was the Breen family. And then the subtitle was no excuses. <laughs> so that's awesome. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's been, uh, and then chap chapter one of Epic Life book is the cream rises to the top. So that's something my dad said every day that he was alive that I can remember the cream rises to the top. So I tell my kids that all the time, like your cream, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, people can't see, but you're nodding your head. But they, you're, yeah, that's what it is. Like, so the, the most of the world just makes an excuse. Entre entrepreneurs, they're the cream that rises to the top and they just don't make an excuse. And, and I can see my father in in uh, my son so strongly it's really they're actually more like him than i am um, i'm a lot like him but they have uh, i would say they are more like him in terms of uh, more inclusion my dad was an includer for everyone uh, um, and then and then they are really strong leaders um, like like he was really like superior leaders it's really interesting to see that yeah that's awesome i mean i think the you know the thing that you see a lot of today is exactly what you've said is a lot of excuse making <laughs> and you know it's it is interesting because obviously there people have struggles in life and life is tough and it is and right. you know we've been very blessed you know both of us and a lot of a lot of you know we're blessed just living in this country quite frankly but right um you know there are there are a lot of hardships and people you know they they look at their lives sometimes and i think they get knocked down and then there's a lot of um reaffirmation of the struggles and people are told you know you're in this place and you know, don't worry you know it's not your fault and i think when that happens then people uh -oh. tend to think well if it's not my fault then i also can't fix the the situation i'm in and you know, that's just not the story of America. The story of America is you absolutely can fix the situation you're in. And it doesn't always work 10 times out of 10, but at least here we have the ingredients to be successful, to make something of our lives. Um, and, you know, to, you know, to explain to people a little bit of your entrepreneurial story, because you were a, you know, nine to five employee, W2, and now you have a business. So walk us through kind of that background how did you go through that journey well again yeah thank you um again my litmus test is you're either someone who can uh get into a plane after another one has been shot down without a parachute or you're someone who makes an excuse that's that is that is my entire litmus test for life and then um uh and that's what I tell my kids too. Like, I, I don't want to hear excuses. Like I don't, so, uh, and then you and I both live in, in arguably some of the greatest places in the greatest country that's ever existed. Um, I'm, I'm 
confident saying that. And it's because of what previous generations did by not making excuses. That's why. <laughs> and then America's the only country ever founded by entrepreneurs. I mean, that's what, if you look at the people that founded the country, almost all of them were entrepreneurs. They were not, they were, they were politicians, but they were entrepreneurs who have to be politicians. Um, so, and they were shot down. Well, there weren't planes then, but they were <laughs> they were shot down multiple times without a parachute, uh, and then they got back into a plane. Okay, so that's why we're here. And then people like our parents and grandparents and great grandparents they came here with nothing, and then they created something for us. Okay, so so that's that. But so I was a journalist for twenty years. I'll give you the brief timeline. The brief timeline. So February tenth, two thousand seventeen. Uh, had job salary uh, cut in half. Uh, wasn't my fault, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, they terminated two other people that day, but um, then they cut my job salary in half. It's okay. So I tried to find a job, couldn't find a job. Um, uh, April uh, 16th, 2017, incorporated uh, with zero business background. I had no idea yet to pay taxes four times a year didn't know what an S Corp was or LLC. I had no idea what that stuff. Okay. So, so, uh, while I was working full time at half the salary, uh, reached out to 5,000 people to find first five clients. So one out of a thousand said, yes, uh, got fifth client on June 1st, 2017, June 2nd resigned. And then June 5th, Robert Feeder, who at the time was the top media columnist in the Midwest, did a story. I'd started my own firm. Robert has since retired. He's been retired for a year or two. But, so that was how, that was just the start first company. Most people can't, they're not wired like that. But top entrepreneur on the planet, that's what entrepreneur life is. That's, that's what it is. So, okay, so do you think, and this is, I think we've talked offline about this, but if it hadn't been for what happened at the job, do you think you would have ever started the business? Oh, there's no, okay, so one, thank you. Two, uh, there's no doubt I would have eventually started it um, because I was always this person. I was always this person. Um, I just didn't know it until starting company. And then I'll give you... Um, maybe an analogy that helps explain it. So like um, COVID fast tracked a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, me getting my job salary cut in half fast tracked that. It just made it, I had to do it, but I'm sure eventually I would have done it because when I was a journalist, I was, a, I was actually an entrepreneur who happened to be a journalist. They had no idea what to do with me. They, they just gave me weird jobs. Um, um, they left me alone and stuff and <laughs> let me do what I wanted. So I was always intra entrepreneurial uh, that just fast tracked it. So there's no doubt eventually I would have started this. Yeah, it is. It is funny. I mean, entrepreneurs are a different breed. Um, you yes. kind of have to be, you have to be a little bit, um, crazy, right? A little bit. And you also have to just have enough risk taking where it's calculated risk and we talk about this in our world all the time in the finance world that you have to take risk but it has to be well thought out and it has to be planned and um, there's risk that's worth taking risk that's not worth taking so there's some of that but then there's just some of um, I think for people who have met you in person realize and that's just your personality is one that and you say you're not high in inclusiveness I would argue the opposite 
you're one of the most inclusive people I've ever met. You've made an entire career right. out of building a network and yes. you help people. I mean, you help people even if it doesn't necessarily help you. And people were drawn to that. I, I remember our, uh, you, you had us at your Christmas party for your company a while back, holiday party. And the level of people there, they're all very, just good people, very caring, very successful. But it's, you, you kind of built this network and you put together this group of people. I think some of your clients, maybe some that are not your clients, but just a total different energy when you're around the Brepic network, I would call it. Yeah, that's my second company. That's literally what my second company's called. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> that's fun. Did you even know that? Or <laughs> that's kind of funny. No, so um, that's amazing, but not surprising. Um, and I appreciate you saying that. If you get my wife says three words to me before parent-teacher conferences, uh, don't say anything. <laughs> so if you put me in a room with not people like us it gets I get a little awkward because i don't know what to say but again yeah. around people like you endless inclusion endless empathy and i would say most of them are not most of them are not clients i would say most um it's just the energy it's the it's the energy and then i for people like us endlessly i will endlessly give uh endlessly give and it doesn't matter if i get anything back I, that doesn't that's immaterial um but someone just has to understand what I'm talking about because if you give to give to someone who doesn't understand, they can't do anything with that information anyway. And then someone who gives to give does not want to be introduced to someone that doesn't get that. They want to be understood. So, so for people like you, endlessly, well, endlessly give to give. And then, yeah, well, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say that that kind of gets into the whole abundance mindset, which I know you're big on like we are well abundance is the only i mean so there's so many things to say with that one people like us are you're the exception for sure um but people like us are usually uh not always aliens within their own family community and verticals the only people that understand us are top entrepreneurs on planet you're so interesting because you literally grew up under multiple generations of that and then worked with your dad. So you got to see that every day from a family and business perspective, which is, that's very rare. People like us are usually like no one in their family even understands that. Um, and, and then, and then abundance mindset, like, I don't understand, I don't understand the cost scarcity mindset. I just don't, it's confusing to me. Like, I don't, it doesn't make so like um so i i grew up uh and live in the, the northbrook glenview area uh and um and so i would describe it as like upper middle class fairly wealthy certainly middle class and then but most of the people well almost all of them actually they're playing not to lose um as opposed to playing to win so they grew up with uh i'm guessing pretty wealthy parents uh, white collar, um, that's, and that's fine. That's fine. Um, but then most of them don't know, they don't know what adversity is and they don't know what to do with that if that happens. So they're playing not to lose. They're not taking any risks calculated or not. And then I've always been, and I know you are, you're always, you're playing to win calculated or not, you're playing to win. And so that's why I had to, had to 
go global with the first company because I had, and this is interesting because you're the opposite of that. You're focused on Naperville, even though it's national, but you're focused on one community, which is really interesting. But I had to go global because I had to, had to find people who understood what I was talking about. And I just found that the only people that understood what I was talking about were, are people like us that think abundantly, they take risks, calculated, sometimes not so calculated. <laughs> and then, and, then um, and they want to change the world. They really want to genuinely help people. Um, well, they're hard to find at first. They're hard to find them. But once you find them, it never stops. That's what's exciting. The network is just, it just keeps growing because people like us and they want to help each other. Well, that's a huge piece of it is the fact that where, like you, you know, to go back to what you said is you have to know where you came from and you have mm -hmm. to realize that there's a difference with people who punch a clock every day, which is fine. I mean, there's a lot of unhappy people in their careers. Um, you know, I talked about this on last on the last episode, how there are so many people who I think it's like 60 or 65 percent who are unhappy. They would like to make a change career wise. They're not going to do it though because it it's hard i mean right it's not an easy thing and so it's going to be this thing where a lot of people will you know just kind of go through the motions and that's okay but to be an entrepreneur you have to really have a passion for what you're doing it can't yes. be you know obviously there's money at the end of it and that is a reward for for being successful but success Correct. is not the end goal. The end goal is to help people, you know, and if you really care about people and you do have a level of care and you really take an interest in them, then uh, you will be successful over time. And but I think yes. a lot of people start in the wrong place. They start with the end goal being the result, you know. Well, I mean, again, you're so bad and different in a good way because you've understood I mean you've learned this since I mean since your brain was forming I mean most people don't so I will give the the um, everything my, my brain turns everything into patterns everything um, and this is what I've seen almost all of the time for some from someone starting a business again you're an exception in a good way because you grew up with this and you learned this from the start but this is what I've seen from most folks almost everyone else um, and here are the four stages to starting a business again this mostly does not apply to you because you were able to mindset skip most of these because of where you came from okay so here here are the four steps one is get to get pure getting so i reached out to five thousand people to get first five clients totally fine totally understandable you got to start somewhere totally fine okay most a lot of people actually stay at get to get their whole lives like which is kind of weird to me but um they do okay so then there's then there's get to give um so you're mostly getting let's say you're giving two intros to get 10. so you're mostly getting you're giving a little uh, most humans stay at that for sure because there's a there's still a trying to get and that's actually the main goal is still trying to get so then there's give to get. So you're mostly giving, but you're still trying to get a little. Uh, give eight intros to get two. 99.9% .9 of the world stops at that. I mean, I'm convinced of that one because I, you know, I've been around for 45 years and I spend my whole life talking to people like us, and then I see the patterns. Okay, so then there's then there's the point one percent, which you actually skipped to this because of where you came from. But so the the true visionary, the true entrepreneur, they give to give. 
but to the only to the people who get it. Give to give, but only to them. So again, I will endlessly give to people like you, regardless if I get anything back. But you under, you can do something with it, and then the people I know can do something with that, with that knowledge, um, because they understand and they live abundantly, and they want to change the world, and they want to introduce you to other people who get it. And again, once you get in that space, whether you want to call it flying the plane or whatever that is, being in your zone of genius or in flow, whatever that's called, um, whatever that's called, then there's no limit to that. There's no limit. But I really do, again, you're the exception. I do think those previous three steps are important to go through. I think they're important because then you understand who actually gets it. So for people that may not be aware of the abundance versus the scarcity mindset, and I know this is not a new thing. This has been around, obviously, as a concept for a very long time. But somebody that we've been connected to who's helped our business out immensely is Dan Sullivan and strategic coach. So, um, Justin, you got involved with that, I think, early on in your business. And can you just explain who Dan Sullivan is, what strategic coach is, what's the general idea behind the abundance mindset <laughs> so if, you, if we could spend hours uh if, <laughs> asking the world's top entrepreneurs if they could explain dan sullivan that would be uh, <laughs> so dan dan i would describe him and i don't think this is hyperbole or anything like, i would describe him as one of the greatest if not the greatest entrepreneurial coaches who's ever lived i I don't, I mean, uh, I mean, he's just, he just is. Uh, and then he co-founded with his wife, Bab Smith, who was a genius entrepreneur, uh, genius. Uh, they co-founded Strategic Coach, which I'm very confident in. I know your dad was a part of it. Uh, I'm, it's one of top, not the top entrepreneurial groups in the world. I'm, you know, it's got thousands upon thousands of top entrepreneurs in it. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story regarding that because you'll totally understand this. So I, uh, I keep making bigger investments to be in smaller rooms, but the people in those rooms are making a uh, bigger impact. So that allows me to spend uh, biggest investment in smallest room, which is my family where I can make most impact. So I keep, keep writing bigger and bigger checks to be in small rooms where people in those rooms are making bigger impact. I, I know you're doing that. You're definitely doing But the, um, so, I was in all these networking groups. Like the first one I was in was like 250 a year. Then it was 500. Then it was a thousand. Then it was 2,000. Then it was 5,000. Then 10,000. Then okay. So, uh, and then the two I'm in now are 25k a year each, and easily would invest 50k a year each. But so uh, when I was in one of those 500 dollar rooms, uh, I was talking to one of the people, and he's like, "Well, I have no under. I I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. But the owner of my company does." Uh, so can I introduce you to him? I'm like, sure. So that person was, uh, his name's Gary Clavin. Uh, he's, uh, graduated first in his army Rangers, uh, graduating class. He's like rain man with numbers, which I kind of am as well. So we were doing weird rain man stuff when we were talking and he's like, you, you got to get out of the $500 group. You got to join strategic coach. Cause he's a coach and strategic coach and it's 10,000. I'm like, okay. So I just, that was 2019. Um, and now I'm in the 25k year coach group. But like that's that's what I mean. You just keep talking to people, and then 
maybe they don't understand, but they'll know someone who understands what you're talking about. And then that's the key to actually finding out who you are. Um, Justin, talk a little, because I know this is obviously a strategic coach thing, but you have taken this to a very good place where, um, and correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, but you don't give advice. You don't do a whole lot of um, work until somebody is kind of bought into not even just what your business is, but who you are. And, you know, I think for some people, there's a high dollar amount involved, right, in working with you. And there's also some exclusivity, of course, with that. But why do you, you know, how do you kind of build that? Because even when you first started, you weren't, you know, you weren't at the level you are today. Oh, no, Um, You know, but you've somehow convinced people or people are attracted. I don't think it's any convincing. I think it's mostly the law of attraction. I haven't done any outbound selling anything in years. Um, And then one of the chapters in Epic Life, which is uh, what Dan Sullivan talks about all the time, is be the buyer. And you're I mean, you're totally you're you're a buyer. Like so folks in companies like pay my firms, but I'm not selling it. You're I'm just buying the people I want to hang out with. I mean, that's what and you're buying the people that you want to like. You have all this freedom now. You have all this freedom to do, you know, basically to do what you want, which is great. But then also you can be the buyer. Like if you don't want to, you don't want to have this person as a client or a friend or anything, you just don't, you know, and that's my life too. Like I just, if someone doesn't understand what I'm talking about, it's, it's a pointless, it's a pointless conversation anyway. And then again, people that get it do not want to be introduced to someone who doesn't get it. Um, and it's very interesting that you said exclusivity because, because one i would agree with you but two i have endless inclusion for exclusivity like endless inclusion for ex- like so i'll never stop including people that want exclusivity like ever but it's only a small percentage of of the world but again abundance mindset like we partner with like people like you are like maybe point one of the population, one out of a thousand. But uh, if there's 8 billion people, 0.1% of that is 8 million. So there's 8 million you. That's a lot of people. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. And then the 8 million of yous create and help everyone else. So that's how I help everyone else by helping people like you. Um, so that's like the way I look at inclusive, exclusive is that I help and partner with the people like us that help everyone else. I just don't understand why everyone else is making an excuse. Like, I just don't, it's, I, it's doesn't make sense to me. It's illogical. Yeah. One of the things that we say in our business is we can't be all things to all people, but yeah. we can certainly try to be all things to some people and right. we try to do that. You know, you try to find people who, um, or people get attracted to you because you share some similar value set. Um, People are attracted to you because they've heard good things about what you do. And it really does get to a place where your client base starts to, um, you know, there's obviously some difference in opinions. And of course, that's that's a good thing. You want that. You don't want everybody exactly the same. But um, there is a at least an underlying um, similarity. I think for us, like with our clients, we have a lot of people who are immigrants. You know, they have. Maybe not themselves are first generation, but they're second or third generation. They're closely tied to people who came over here and took a risk. And we always tell our story, whether it's on my parent, my dad's side, who is, you know, obviously 
we're, uh, that's the Stenger family in, in you know seven generations and now about to be eight generations. Mm -hmm. But then even on my grandma's side, I have a unique perspective because she was in Hungary, escaped World War II, escaped the Nazis, came over to the United States with nothing. And yep. I think it was her early 20s and came to New York City and started a brand new life. So I had a pr appreciation for that side too of, hey, this is kind of what it looks like. And that's kind of the people we've attracted. We have a lot of first generation clients, second generation, where they really do understand Logical. why America is what it is. Yeah, that, so that makes, so one, that's one. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Uh, but that's like, that is logical to me. It makes, that makes sense because um, again, like my brain turned, it just turns things into patterns. I don't know why. I do. So if you're not, if you're not a litmus test for people you serve, you're a hypocrite. You're so you're, I mean, you're like the ultimate litmus. Test. <laughs> if like, I can imagine, uh, I can imagine, and tell me if this has happened, but I can imagine someone walking into your office and be like, Hey, I'm a ninth generation of uh, Aurora. <laughs> can you, you imagine that or something? Uh, that, that, does that happen to you? Does that happen? Probably we haven't happen. met too many ninth generations yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a, a tenth generation from Algonquin. I mean, just think about that. Like, hey, my uh, my great 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 grandfather uh, founded Algonquin. I don't know. Like, I could see something like that happening in your in your life eventually, but. No, you ha you have to be a litmus test for people you serve, or you're a hypocrite. So, purpose of my life is to be connecting superhero for every visionary, not not human, not business owner, not consultant visionary who shares their stories with the world. Duh, not their their world people. It, it bores me. Um, and then again, uh, keep writing bigger checks to be in to be in smaller rooms where people in those rooms have bigger impacts. Though. Uh, and then so I'm a litmus test for people you serve. You just keep having people write bigger checks to be in smaller rooms, but the people in those rooms are making bigger impacts. So if you're if you're not writing checks to be in smaller rooms, how can you ask others to write bigger checks for you? I mean, so I just keep writing bigger checks. Yeah, there is a level of I, I've been really talking with clients about this and even prospective clients where um, it's like, and not that we're doctors, so I'm not making that analogy, but in the doctor <laughs> analogy, um, My wife you know, is a you, doctor, so I'll tell you if this works. <laughs> okay, you you can uh, you can hold me accountable on this one. <laughs> so, you know, you go to you, you don't go to a doctor because it's Rush or Northwestern or Loyola, um, which obviously there are differences. There's no question. Some have specialties in some things than others do, but you ultimately go to a doctor because you have a level of trust. You also feel that it's the best doctor, you know, and, and um, I, I tell clients this all the time, you're with us because there is obviously likability and trust, but beyond that, there has to be some intellectual capital that you're accessing. And, you know, there's a lot of commoditized industries. Ours is one of them, the financial services business. There's a lot of advisors. There's like 350,000 of us, um, but we're not all created equal. And just like you alluded to with the PR world, PR is not all created equal, you know, and there's just a certain level of intellectual capital that you are paying for. Um, yes. You know, there's that and it demands a certain price. Yeah, again, that's so that's that is logical. Um, and my wife, if she was here, she's at the at the water park with the kids, she would she would agree with that. 
and uh, so my wife's a pediatrician. She is the pediatrician that other pediatricians send their children to. So that's that is my wife. She has full empathy, warmth, inclusion uh, for everyone. Um, she's like the nicest. You met you met Sarah. She's like yeah, she's awesome. Loving, kind, yeah, like <laughs> and then I'm just like, <laughs> but um, but what I have learned is is that again, people like us are usually usually aliens in their own fam family community and vertical so you're an entrepreneur who happens to be in financial you're a visionary who happens to be in financial services you're not i mean you're not a financial advisor you're not i mean you're i mean you are but you're not um and then i'm an entrepreneur who happened to be a journalist like uh, and then i have no idea what pr firms do i literally have no i've never understood any of that um I've never understood it. And then what you're doing is you found many gaps in a in a in the in the market and in the mindset of, of most of the folks in your field, because most of the folks in your field are strictly financial and that's fine, but you're not like that. You're a visionary, who happens to be in that world. So then you created something based on that and then took a calculated risk uh, creating your own freedom platform, which is your new company. Um, so most of the folks in your space would not have done that because they're playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And I'm the same way. I'm just fully playing to win. Uh, I don't understand playing not to lose. Like you have one life, I think. So why not go for it? Why not make the most of it and then show your children, show your children not only that this world exists, but show them the step by steps that makes how that happened. And that's the most one. I mean, you're about to see that very soon, which is amazing. Um, and then it'll just keep getting better, you know, keep growing your family and then your children, child children get to see that this world exists and then they can do whatever they want with it. So that's very, that's very exciting. And then again, know where you come from. So we're in, we're in uh, Sheboygan, Kohler, Wisconsin. And uh, uh, six years ago, almost six years ago to the day, this is where I, this is the, location area where I founded came up with the idea of starting first company um, with zero business background I'm like oh, I'll just call it for epic because I like saying the word epic so that was on the way up my wife surprised me with a trip uh, after job salary was cut in half she surprised me with a 40th birthday trip to the American Club in, in Polar which is right next to here so that's where I started first company I mean, so it all it all makes sense when you put the pieces together it all it just is logical and it makes sense well that Kohler thing is cool I'm glad you brought that up because we went a couple years ago as well and mm -hmm. um, that is just a cool entrepreneurial American entrepreneurial story of... it's amazing that I'll think about that but well the one of the room the uh, restaurant is the immigrant room mm -hmm. and that was that what whole American uh, I'm Scott I just cut you off that whole American club was a was a dormitory for the immigrants who were working there and then Kohler's literally the Kohler family from Germany that and th those people were full visionaries the ones that started it oh my god ultimate visionary and now there's a town company Kohler all over most people don't know that Kohler is an actual town they have no idea or a family they're just like oh they, I, I turned on my sink and I saw Kohler, or I flushed the toilet but no I mean but Kohler represents like every American entrepreneurial story like to the nth degree but that's what it is 
Well, and they even have in the basement, they have their own museum, which is so cool. I mean, that's that's how you pass your history down. I mean, if everybody could have their own museum, you know, that'd be pretty neat. But obviously with them, they've got, um, you know, they, they're able to pass this down. And people don't realize how hard that is to keep doing this for generation after generation. It takes a lot of careful planning. It also takes a lot of, you know, just a lot of good people along the way who, I guess, you know, take the baton that they are passed. And it, th th that's a fascinating story. Kohler is just a really neat entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial story. And you got to get up there if you haven't been up there already. Well, um, and I don't say this lightly, but your family is a very, it's a very similar, it's a very, I mean, um, it, I mean, it, it's very similar. It's, you know, German, German roots, German roots, um, manufacturing or brewing. Um, I don't know the exact day that Kohler was founded, but I'm sure it was the late, it was the 1800s. I'm sure it was. Um, and, you know, your family's been in the same town since the 1800s. I mean, it's just, I, I just think things like that are the most amazing thing because, you know, countries like this, if, if you and I were born in like, um, if you and I had been born in, um, let's say, I don't know, maybe like the Soviet Union or North Korea, or I don't know, some like uh, Venezuela, we would have probably been killed. I mean, we would have been right. We would have right. been killed. So I only laugh because it's true, but like here, we're just allowed to, if you take a calculated risk, if you, if you take a risk for the most part, unless you're, unless you're born into something and then you don't have to take the risk, but most people they have, there's gotta be some risk, but if you take the risk, there's endless freedom that awaits endless. If you can, and then intellectual capital, that was another thing that you said that was interesting. The intellectual capital is key. And then you just keep building on that every day just keep building on that intellectual capital. And by the way, I just looked up Kohler on Google. 1873 is when they were yeah. founded. And then when did your family uh, come to Naperville? What? It was before that. We were 1840s, 1850s. Yeah. So even, so think about that. You're 20 something years before that. You predate Kohler. You predate an actual town. I mean, by a long time, by a full generation. So, That's Justin, I like to, um, and we could kind of wrap up on this, but I really feel that sometimes entrepreneurs, and especially small business owners, have a better handle on the economy and what's really going on underneath the surface, a better pulse, you could call yes. it. Yes. then, you know, we do our due diligence process and we meet with all these top PhDs and MBAs and CFAs and all the different acronyms. And they're all very good. I mean, they're all very smart and they're very, uh, very good people. And they, you know, they have very good research and all the rest of it. But sometimes you can't really compare that to somebody who's running a business on the ground floor level like you are. No, 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 you can't, you can't compare that. <laughs> that's That's the opposite of, no, uh, no, 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 no. But go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well, at least from a, like an immediate, almost um, 
like like there's just an immediate cause and effect relationship when you're an entrepreneur, right? You do something, you raise prices, right? You know the effect on your business. You have in, increased input yeah. costs. You know what it's going to happen to your margins. Um, so a lot of that is so helpful, even as we manage our clients' portfolios. So your perspective here in the markets, the economy, obviously you're invested, but talk about what do you think's really going on? Everybody's kind of doom and gloom right now. Everybody's down in the Not me. No, 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 I ignore that. No, <laughs> no, I completely ignore that. Uh, I'm fully abundant. Um, so um, I'll give you an anal- uh, a story behind that. Um, um, actually, I'll introduce you to him as well. So he um, he runs. Uh, he's a genius. I'll introduce you to him after this. Um, I met him through Abundance Three Hundred and Sixty and Entrepreneurs Organization. He's a great guy um, and strategic coach. <clears throat> but he runs um, uh, a financial assessment company. That's the easiest way to describe it. So I took it and. Uh, there's like a hundred is the top score and then zero is the, the lowest. So risk taking, I was 99 out of a hundred. And then looking at, um, cause it's a financial awareness assessment. It was talking to and or looking at current financials in world. I was at two out of a hundred. Like I don't even, I never even look at it. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm the same way. And he runs a financial well, so, but the, he's the running the company. So, um, so when COVID, started like right when it started i posted on social media this will be the greatest opportunity of all time for people with the right mindset and that's what is that's what's i mean it's i started a second company with someone i've met two times in person wrote two books one where peter diamandis who's you know top entrepreneur on planet one of them he wrote the forward and chris voss who never split the difference he wrote the forward for the other one um just got invited to join uh, this incredible uh, wildlife uh, foundation that will be a nonprofit and for profit that will literally change the world. So like all this stuff has happened since COVID. And for people with the right mindset, this has been the greatest, regardless of what the financial markets say, this has been the greatest opportunity of all time. And most, most, not all, but most visionaries completely ignore the world that most doom and gloom people live in. They just complete, they're just flying the plane. Um, so I, and then there's one vertical I completely ignore uh, for company business related purposes and that's politics. It's not cause I don't like it. It's just, it's the opposite of visionary abundance investment mindset. I just, it's argue and cost instead of, you know, invest in action. So I just ignore it. Um, so no, I don't, there's no doom and gloom in my world. <laughs> there's none. It's just hanging out with my family and then talking to people like you, which is endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. So there's no, and this is really important for our clients to understand because, you know, you put your money in the market and then you watch CNBC and you see the ups and downs every day and it, it can make you really <laughs> nervous. And I try to tell people the stories of entrepreneurs like you just on a smaller scale, you know, it's, it's different than Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon, and all the big companies. But at the end of the day, it's the same concept. You're making a product or you're selling a service and you have cost and you make a profit. And if profit goes up over time, your company becomes more valuable. It's really not a complex metric. 
and our formula. So I think it's important for people to understand the mindset of the entrepreneur because you don't wake up every morning thinking, what is Jerome Powell doing with interest rates? That's not even a consideration. Well, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. I don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Justin Breen, owner of Brepic Communications. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here for this week's episode of the Nick Stenger Show, where we bring you the clarity and confidence, which is simply the good news on what's going on behind the scenes of the U.S. economy. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.